Hey guys, it is Good Friday. Uh, if you've ever wondered what suffering's purpose is, where it comes from, what to do with it, today's podcast is definitely for you. Uh, like last time, we went a little bit more theological, um, but definitely I think this can be a very fruitful episode for you. So we hope that it is helpful. Hey guys, uh, it is Good Friday as you know, um, and we hope that you are having an opportunity to really take extra time to pray um, and lean into um, the graces that are really packed into this day, as uncomfortable as it might be to like lean into that and fast and all that. But um, we're going to, we're going to talk today about suffering. Um, Can I tell you about a suffering that I experienced as I was listening to our last episode? Uh-oh. Oh, yes. That's right. Now everybody's going to go back and listen for it. You guys, I say ultimately every 30 seconds in that episode, sometimes more. Maybe 15 seconds. Maybe 15 seconds. <laughs> but then I started doing it too. And it was a real, it was a real humility check. And I was like, okay, I am now, every time I say ultimately, I'm going to like spray myself with water or something so that I don't. <laughs> we got a spray bottle ready. So that I learn not to say that. I think often. also... We say like a lot. We do say like and a lot. I've always I've known that. I've always known that about myself, but it is hard to like, oh my gosh, dang it. <laughs> Listen to myself say it yeah. so often. My mom was always, <sighs> she always told me, Lexi, you say like way too often. And I still do. But I didn't know that I say ultimately way too often, which I now do. <laughs> so there we go. That's funny. Humility and suffering. Humility. It's real. It's real. So I want to ask you a question, which I think is going to, um, I think it's a fun question to ask anyone. I think this is just, as you're getting to know people, I think this is a great get to know you question. And I'm going to ask it for Ashley. What was a time that you did something that you didn't want to do and it turned out to be super worth it? Yeah. Okay. So when I was thinking about this question, because spoiler alert, I knew she was going to ask me that. Um, we plan I was these? thinking, what? Yeah, I know we do kind of plan these. Some of despite, them we really don't, despite what you may think. Um, but um, I was telling Lexi, I was like, I feel like I'm a person that gets like extra nervous and introverted about things. So like, so much of my life is like, I didn't want to do it, and I did it because I knew it was the right thing, and I'm really glad I did it. So <laughs> it's really hard for me to choose one. Ashley's like hashtag my daily hashtag life. my daily life. <laughs> Um, but in true Ashley fashion, I will go deep because that's what I do. Um, and when I really put some thought into that, one of the first things that did come to my mind was when I was serving with net ministries, um, it was far into the year. We were like a month and a half away from being done with our nine months. And so kind of all of the like thrill of missionary life was just like gone, to be honest with you. And I was just feeling really fatigued. Um, and then on top of that, I was really experiencing like, um, just the reality of my own weakness because turns out when you travel in a van with 12 people, you, uh, can't hide your weaknesses, especially by the time that you're in <laughs> oh month seven. Um, and I just like knew that I knew that I was causing my teammates so much annoyance mm. just by my very weakness. And like, I can't tell you like one particular thing that I Kiss was me. doing or had done, but it was just like, I had come to that, that deep realization of like, oh my gosh, I can't, 
I can't hide from you anymore. And it was actually like legitimately tearing me up, um, which in retrospect, I'm like, girl, take a breath. Um, but it was really where God was asking me to look, I think at that point. And it was, um, it was agonizing. And I, I think had, had taken it further than maybe Jesus wanted me to take it. Um, but I was kind of inconsolable at just the reality of my weakness. And, um, and so to the point where my supervisors were like, Ashley, this is not like a behavioral correction, but we are asking you to go on a personal retreat. And I was like, I'm that much of a mess. Oh my gosh, I have to go on a personal retreat. And personal retreats, side note, were intended for team leaders, which I wasn't, and second year missionaries, which I wasn't. So I knew that this was an exception. And special. I was so, so <laughs> special. Um, and they were like, we're going we're gonna to ask you to just take a retreat. And I was... Yeah, I didn't want to for a lot of reasons, most of which revolved around my pride. Um, and and I didn't want to leave my team and I didn't want to be the one that, you know, bailed on them for a while. And there were so many reasons. But, um, but I knew it was the right thing because I knew, as my supervisor put it, she's like, Ashley, in normal life, you can't just stop your life. Well, she didn't know about Corona. Um, <laughs> but, you, but you can't just stop your life and deal with your heart. But you can this year on that. And Hashtag Corona 2020. That's so funny. <laughs> I know, right? Okay, sorry. Um, no, yeah, sorry. That was a side note. But um, anyways, so she was like, yeah, you're like, this is an opportunity that's not going to come in your life again. And so we're going to give it to you. And Jesus wants to do something with your heart. And we're going to invite you into that. And I was like, okay. So anyways, I could tell you like the depths of this story. Honestly, it would be like beautiful to tell again because the Lord had so much in store for me. But Long story short, I got to go and stay with this host family in New Jersey that, like, I, to this day, am convinced were angels. Like, have you ever seen Touched by an Angel? That's what I grew up watching. I never saw it. Okay. Well, I do. I Or I did. And anyways, you didn't know that these human beings, these seemingly human beings, were actually angels Aww, in disguise. Cute. And I really felt like the, uh, this couple... Like, isn't there a song? Touched by an Angel? When you walk... Down the road. That's like the yes. theme song. That's the theme song, my dear. Okay. Yes. I know that. That brought me back. I used to do a dance to that. Oh. Huh. Yeah. I would love to see video content of that as yeah, well. I was kind of a weird kid. No, I, I still did, am weird. I did lots of dances that we won't go into. Yeah. Anyways, so point is, this couple, I still sometimes think they're actually angels. And like that, mm. Jesus brought me to this like Narnia world mm-hmm. for a couple of days because... Um, just the way that they spiritually loved me and cared for me and like physically, like they're like sleep, eat, pray. I had a very profound experience outside in the middle of like New Jersey garden state. Cause they lived like away from the city. Um, whereas just like the Lord really brought me to this place of seeing, um, uh, the imperfections of the nature around me and yet the profoundness of its beauty. Oh. Um, and I heard wow. him, he like drew me to this bush in front of me. Like this sounds so funny, but he was like, uh, I was like admiring. It's like, Oh, this bush is really nice, whatever. And he's like, is it perfect? And I looked closer and I realized that like, it was uneven. There was like brush within it. And I was like, well, no, it's not perfect. And I heard him say, but is it beautiful? And I was like, yeah, it is. And it was like this moment of grace wow. where the Lord was like, Ashley, like, 
there is no perfect Ashley. Like, mm-hmm. you are my beloved, and you are beautiful. And you, even though you're causing your team, you know, inconveniences and annoyances because of your imperfections, like, that doesn't take away from you, your beauty and your worth and your lovability. Um, And so while I would be lying to say that I don't still have bouts of perfectionism, like I'm brought back to that moment every single time I deal with that. And I just, there's like grace there every time. So that was a longer story than I intended. But um, all of that is to say, praise God that I went on that retreat, Mm -hmm. even though I didn't want to, because Mm -hmm. there are, there were fruits in it that are continuing to bear fruit in my life eight years later. Seven years later. However many years later. I like so. that story. Thanks. Me That's too. a good story. It is a good I story. I like the bush thing. Yeah. I always feel kind of silly that like I was surrounded by flowers and beautiful trees and it was a freaking bush that I was drawn to. But that's It's fine. very Dresian of you. <laughs> yes, you would Hashtag not even a little flower. I'm just a bush. I'm just a freaking bush. <laughs> no, it's great. So I can still see it. And I, yeah. Also, they had really good granola. That's, I kind of want it. I should make it. I have the recipe. Oh. Yeah, it's great. So, uh, Lexi, tell us about a story um, that you did something that you didn't want to do, but you're, like, so glad you did. Yeah. So, I go back to this story because it's very classic. It has a lot of the classic themes in it of, well, you'll see. I was in Assisi in Italy, which is uh, where St. Francis of Assisi was, right? (laughs) Makes sense. Um, (laughs) And, uh, which is underrated, by the way. If you go to Italy, I cannot encourage you enough to go to Assisi. Not enough people know about how amazing and beautiful it is. So it's gorgeous. It's covered with, like, olive trees, and they make a lot of olive oil and leather, weirdly. Um, huh. But it's it's just gorgeous. It's this quaint, beautiful town, um, and, and it's on a hilltop. It's just beautiful. Amazing views. So... There's a hill in Assisi. It's a really steep hill. Um, And on top of that hill is the hermitage of St. Francis. So where he lived as a hermit, right? And um, my class that I was there with, we were all going to go to the top of this hill for a day and have kind of a a half-day retreat uh, where they were going to pray with us, tell us about the hermitage, show us around, all that kind of stuff. And in order to get to this hermitage on the top of the hill... You could, there were two options. You could either drive or you could hike. And um, me being me, wanted to drive. But then I realized that all of the rest of the university students were going to hike because that was what the university had recommended. Um, And so all my friends were going to hike. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm going to hike. And they said, like, it's a really profound experience. You know, we, we, we recommend to our students that you offer this experience as an act of penance. Um, and, and we believe that the Lord will honor that and you'll receive really fruit from that penance. So I was like, all right, well, here we go. So we started hiking up this hill and I wouldn't say that I was in bad shape, but I also wasn't in great shape. You know, we'd been walking a lot, but I was, I was, not having a great time. I was huffing and puffing. There were moments where I just had to stop. Um, I was in pain. My lungs hurt. It was a big, hefty hike. It took about, I can't remember how long it took, probably 35 minutes or something like that. But you were going uphill, like steep, steep uphill for about half an hour. And, um, but I remember at the halfway point, 
So first of all, all the while that you're going up this hill, you're surrounded by trees. I actually had friends who got lost, which was really bad. Glad I wasn't Wait, walking Wait, how do you get them. lost? It's one path. It was not just one path. Oh, okay. Um, there, so it was like marked with colors, but some of the colors had faded. And so if you followed the wrong color, oh my gosh. you could really easily get lost. So some of my friends got lost. Anyway, I did not get lost. Um, but you couldn't see over the hill. Like you were in a forest, okay, on this path. So all you see surrounding you is trees and the path that you're following. So it's kind of just like keep your head down and keep walking, right? There's not a lot of nature to observe. It's just forest and that's it. Suck it it up, buttercup. Yep. So um, I'm huffing and puffing, kind of dying, walking up this hill, stopping every so often. But at the halfway point, the trees open up over the side of this mountain cliff hill. And you can see over the edge. And, um, and it gets flat for like 20 feet, which is a lot when you're walking. So, um, I got to this halfway point and stopped and took a breather, which was not my only breather, but looked over and the sun was at its full height and it was just shining down through the clouds onto these field, these rolling hill fields of olive trees. And it was insanely beautiful. I was so reinvigorated and um, made the rest of the hike up the hill. And when we got to the top of that hill, when we got to the hermitage, um, I honestly experienced some of the most anointed and blessed prayer that I've ever experienced. Like I will, I will never forget the intimacy that I had with Jesus up there in that hermitage. So it was so worth it. And I, I felt the accomplishment, but I also felt that God had honored that gift. Like He'd honored the hike, you know, and it made it feel like I'd, um, like I'd done something to give back to the heart of Jesus a little bit, you know, which we're going to talk about today. So, uh, Hmm. it was, it was very anointed, definitely worth the hike and very blessed. And oh, like the sunset, we stayed for the sunset up there and I was sitting on top of the hermitage because you can do that you can like sit on the roof watching the sunset and... Oh, there's like a John Paul II quote where he says, the steeper the hill, the the more quickly it ascends to ever-widening horizons. Oh. And I experienced the exact nature of that quote there, yeah. where it was like the horizon kept getting wider and wider and wider the higher that you went. So the view got better and better and better the higher that you hiked, even though it was quite miserable. So it was so hard and so, so very worth it. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I love that. And like, you can see from both of these stories that suffering is when it happens, there's always, um, when it's done right, according to the Lord's will, like there's always something greater on the other side of it. Yeah. And that's, you know, so today is Good Friday. Um, and so we thought it would be really appropriate today to enter into the mystery of suffering, mm-hmm. um, to talk about suffering, to talk about the nature of suffering. And that might sound like a very, uh, womp womp kind of topic, womp, womp. but I think you'll see by the end of this, this is, I, this is one of the topics that I personally am the most excited to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot of hidden gems to be found when we really enter into the mystery of suffering, especially it's appropriate today. Yeah. And it's the crux of our faith, man. It like, is. This is. It's what it's all about. Yeah. Like the hokey pokey. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So Lexi, to start us off, can you 
just, this is a tall order, but can you kind of just define suffering? Like what is suffering? What are the different kinds of suffering? Um, Just kind of take us through that a little bit. Yeah. At first when we were like, we should define suffering. I was like, why on earth do we need to define suffering? Like everybody knows what it's like to suffer. Um, We've all experienced suffering in some capacity, but I do think it's important to kind of get specific because um, there are different kinds of suffering and there are different roots of suffering. And so, uh, and, and sometimes we tend to think of suffering, the nature of suffering differently than it actually is. So I like to, first of all, there's different, like we said, there's different roots of suffering. There's suffering that comes from us that we bring upon ourselves, right? So, um, I can bring suffering on myself through my lack of connection with God. I can bring suffering on myself really intentionally anytime that I want to, right? But I often do it somewhat unintentionally, um, where through my sin or through my ignorance or through my behavior, I bring suffering on myself. We see this with people who, for example, um, drink too much, right? Like you drink a lot thinking that it's going to make you happy in the moment, but you know that the next day it's going to bring you pain and suffering and you still choose to do it anyway, right? So in that sense, I've brought suffering on myself. Um, so that's that's one kind of suffering. There's also uh, man suffering that man imposes on his fellow man, which um, is something that I find really interesting because only humans have the ability to really intentionally bring suffering on each other. Like, I know what makes me suffer, and therefore, if I want to, I can make you suffer. And there are plenty of, there's plenty of evil in all of us, right? Sometimes we tend to think, oh, there are bad people out there who would do that. But I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we totally do that. You know, we, we, we have a tendency to rejoice in the suffering of others, especially if we're jealous of that person, or if that person annoys us, right? Like, um, so there's suffering that man brings on his fellow man. And then there's suffering that is just natural. There's suffering that is not made by man, like we're experiencing right now with the coronavirus, right? We didn't do anything to bring this on, although some people could say that you could you could make an argument for that. But ultimately, right, like this is a suffering of of that nature, God, whatever, which we'll talk about, but but this is a suffering that was given to us by the powers that be right? By, by nature. Um, some people would say by God. So, um, I think it is important to make those distinctions when we're talking about suffering. Um, but I also like to make the distinction because there's, there's suffering that people could say is brought about when, when we're referring to the suffering that's brought about by nature or the suffering that's brought about by man, we can sometimes say that it's brought about by the devil. Um, and I want to talk about the truthhood and the falsehood that's in that, <laughs> because while the devil is real, and I am not, go- I would never ever deny the reality of the devil. I think we have to talk about what the devil is and what he's not. Um, and so, when we talk about evil and suffering in the world, which suffering comes from evil, right? Suffering is a result, a direct result of evil in the world. Um, Sometimes we have a tendency to think of suffering and evil as like the anti-God, right? As the, like the devil himself who brings about this evil and suffering that he is like God except the bad version, 
right? And that's a slippery slope because it, um, it contains a falsehood that sometimes leads us down a really unfortunate heresy, heretical path. Um, evil and the powers of the devil are not another God who is a bad God, right? Evil, like, okay, so this is the analogy that I like to use. Think about light and darkness. Darkness is not a thing. Darkness is a lack of a thing. So like you can't shine darkness into a room, right? The only way that you can achieve darkness is if you block out all of the light because darkness is inherently an absence of something. It is an absence, not a presence of something, right? It is not a thing. It's not a physical thing. Light is a thing. It's a physical thing. You can, you can, we can perceive light, right? And we can shine light. Same with God versus evil. Like evil and suffering are not a, a thing that have power of their own accord. Evil and suffering are an absence of God. And um, another, another, we can look at the same principle with cold and heat, right? Cold is not a thing. Like the, the only way that you can pump cold air into a room is if you've already sucked all the heat out of air and then you pump it into a room, right? The, the cold is just an absence of heat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, again, I just, I think that it's important to acknowledge that the devil isn't this powerful being, this all powerful being who is evil. Mm-hmm. All that evil and suffering are is an absence of God himself. And when it's, and I think with the devil, because like Lexi did say, the devil is truly, he's real, uh-huh. right? But his power yeah. is because he had, he's an angel, right? Yep. Um, and the power that he had got distorted mm-hmm. by his rejection of the good. Exactly. Right? And so the power, it's not that he created a new power. It's that he distorted a power that was good. And God, in his divine knowledge, gave angels and gave humans free will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have the power from God, right, to to say yes and to let the light shine in our thoughts and in our actions and therefore be good. But we also have the quote-unquote power to reject that and therefore bestow evil. Totally. Totally. And, and so that's kind of what we're going to end up talking about today too is the power that you and I have in our suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we'll get to that in, in a bit. I want to talk a little bit about kind of going along with this whole like idea of the devil in suffering is the question of God in suffering. Mm-hmm. Like, does God want suffering in the world? And that's one of the most common, I can't remember, was it David Hume who made that argument that God can't be all good and all powerful because mm-hmm. there is suffering in the world. Therefore, we cannot have an all-good and all-powerful God. I think it was David Hume. Mm. And for a while, that was like the argument. And I think it's still one of the best philosophical arguments against the existence of an all-good and all-powerful God. However, I don't think it ultimately holds any water because um, we we can counteract that argument. And so I want to talk a little bit about God's active versus his permissive will and I think we talked about this at one point in another one of our 
podcast really briefly. But so there's the will of God, right? And the will of God, um, he, we have the things that God directly wants for us and has always wanted for us from the, from the beginning of time and from the dawn of creation. And then we have the things that God allows, even though they're imperfect. And there's a difference between those two things. And God has given you and I free will because free will allows us to choose love. And that is, again, a whole nother concept that I don't, I don't know how much time we have to go into that today. But basically, like if you kidnap someone and you tell them that your only option is to love me, that's not they're love. never going to love you. And that's not real love, right? Um, that's what's the symptom called, the syndrome oh, called where the person um, falls in love with their captor. I can't remember off the top of my head. Dang it. Anyway. Um, yeah, I want to remember. Oh my anyway, gosh, gonna remember. Okay, I know. Forever. I know. Uh, uh, Poughkeepsie tapes. The girl who falls in love yeah. with her captive. Anyway, the point is like that force isn't love. And so if our only option was to love God, then we wouldn't love God. So he, he had to allow for us to choose against him. But again, it's the, it's the darkness and light thing. Anything that we choose that is not God is going to be dark. Because the only thing that you get when you don't have light is darkness, right? So evil and suffering entered the world by God's permissive will. He allows it, but it's not what he directly wants and intends for us. Um, there's an image that I really like that I, I really want to remember who said this too, so I can give them credit, but they talked about the world in terms of a song. So they said, God was singing a note and he intended for all of creation to sing that note with him. And that was his intention from the dawn of creation was that we would all sing in tune with the note that God was singing. And we would call that his active will. And that's God's active will. We didn't do that. We chose against him and um, sang a discordant note, a note that was off, right? And rather than cutting us off and, and cutting off our note, God came in and made a harmony with that note. And now, instead of all creation singing one song, we have a harmonious orchestra. Like, we have a complicated, you know, song that we're all singing that has layers on layers on layers of harmonies. And um, I just thought that that image was And really so, yeah, cool. you would call those choices that we made to sing a discordant note God's permissive will. Like right. he's he allowed us. It. Mm -hmm. um, that wasn't his original plan, so to speak. But he, this is what's so amazing is that, and I, I keep discovering this with every choice in my life. It's amazing how the Lord, you may have heard the phrase like the Lord writes straight with crooked lines. Like the mm. choices that I've made that, oh man, yeah, that was not the best choice, right? When I have surrendered that discordant note, so to speak, to Jesus Christ and his redemption, I look back and I see a straight line or I see this beautiful um, symphony that mm -hmm. he's written with my life. And I think a really important distinction to make is it's that's not to say, so just do whatever you want because it's fine. God will make it sound God good. God will make it sound the good. The only exactly. way that God is going to make it sound good is if we give him permission to do so, which requires repentance, which requires us to say, Jesus, take this. I am so mm -hmm. sorry. Mm -hmm. This was not good. 
and we see him make it into something beautiful. We have to give it to him so, first. Right. So mm-hmm. it is also important to note that there are there are still discordant notes going on in our life right now mm-hmm. and in our world. People are still singing, quote unquote, off key. I still sing off key. And until I give it to Jesus, we're not going to see the beauty in it. Right. Um, hundred because there isn't beauty in it. Right. There isn't beauty in it until it's surrendered. It's but the just Lord, sin and ugly and suffering until he redeems until it. Until he redeems it. Um, and so, but he still allows, he allows it. He, he allows, allows that. He allows the discordant notes. He allows the discordant notes, whether or not we surrender them to him. But I just want to say that I think about my life and the different turns that I have taken. And I am like the Lord's, the Lord's redemption of my bad choices are so amazing that like, I think that's why people often will say everything happens for a reason, mm. which I don't think that's a, a great statement. I don't think that's a fully yeah. true statement, but I think that's why people say it because, um, when we start to walk towards the light, um, we do start to go, Oh my gosh, wow. I'm really glad that this, that I got into this bad scene because look what God did from it. He actually makes it better yeah. than if we had never fallen and that's the craziest thing it's 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 baffling to me because at our easter vigil here in a couple of oh, days yeah we will sing the line oh happy fault oh necessary sin of adam which won for us so great a redeemer oh happy fault like what that doesn't make any sense but then we say oh happy fault which won for us so great a redeemer. We would never have had God incarnate had we not fallen. And so God actually takes the the very thing that made us a discordant note and turns it into the beauty of a symphony, which like isn't the beauty of a symphony even greater than all of us singing one note together at the same time. You know, and so it's just this crazy and but again, it has to come from genuine repentance. It can't be a complacency where we just say, well, it'll be fine because God will make it better. Well, it doesn't say Paul, I'm, this is going to be like where the, the, the Catholic stereotype comes in because I can't remember where he says it and exactly how he said <laughs> it. But he talks about like, oh, so should I just keep sinning? Right. Like, because Therefore, there's grace. Like, sin so that grace should abound all the more. Yeah. yeah, and yeah it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah. And he's like, absolutely not. Like you're missing the point. It's yes. not, this is... This is not, I think maybe the way I would say it is, it's not like you forethink this. It's not like, oh, I'm going no. to go sin so that I can experience grace. It's right. you look back and go, oh my gosh, I sinned. This is God having mercy on us in yeah. our weakness when we are trying, but but inevitably failing because of our weakness. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge difference. And this, my friends, is why we can say with full confidence that no one is too far from the grace of God. Amen. No one is too far like it'll just be a more it'll just be a really sick harmony like yeah the really radically radically lost sinner Mm -hmm. who turns to god will have an even more amazing harmony than you and i and i think that even some of you listening uh can start to maybe fall like i do into the temptation to believe that like no i'm just too far gone like even if i'm not doing drugs and sleeping around like okay yeah i get it maybe your big sins aren't there but like it's possible that you still have that temptation. And I want to tell you that that is a temptation that comes from the enemy. That does not come from God because no one, no one is too far from the grace of God. Amen. Yeah. So, um, so we can avoid sin, but that doesn't mean that we can avoid suffering. 
Because again, not all suffering comes from sin. Um, we, we make our lives quite a lot more miserable by sin, right? But that doesn't mean that holy people don't suffer. And I just want to quick interject in case we haven't made this clear. The root of that, read Genesis 3, right? The fall, right? Mm-hmm. That's where mm-hmm. like the imperfect sin and suffering, sin are, and brought suffering are brought the into the world. Yep. Okay. Yep. Sorry. Just but therefore, that. because of that, sin um, made it so that we are living in a fallen world. And you and I are born into that fallen world. Um, and so I, I really want to talk, since we're talking about suffering, there's this concept that I've been diving into a lot lately. Um, I'm listening to Jordan Peterson, who I think is fascinating in so many ways. But this is something that he talks about a lot that's resonating with a lot of people that I think we should talk about more as Catholics, which it doesn't sound like a fun thing to say. And so I think we tend to not talk about it, but I think we need to talk about it. Suffering is inevitable. And that doesn't sound like good news, but I'm actually convinced that it is and that it's necessary for us to talk about this if we're ever going to talk about the amazing glory of the redemption and of Jesus, because I think so much of our current American 21st century culture, the goal is to erase suffering, right? Like if you have a comfy enough couch and a good enough show on Netflix and a big enough tub of ice cream, we can erase suffering. Like together we can erase suffering. And if we have, like we can create utopia, you know, we can make it so that everybody has, everybody has enough food, nobody's ever sick, and, and everybody has a lot of money, and we live forever. And, like, we can eradicate suffering. And um, I think it gets even more tempting to believe that as we get closer to it. Like, as we get comfier couches and, and have easier access to food and medicine, which are good things, right? Like that's good, but it gets easier to buy into this idea that maybe we actually could eradicate suffering. Um, and the, the church in all her wisdom has this at the core of her belief, suffering is inevitable. And, and what we do with that suffering is really the question. But we can't buy into this belief as real practicing Catholics that we can just get rid of suffering and have that be our goal. And of course, we should do what we can to console others. Like, it's good to go and make better medicines and make it so that less people are dying of starvation and get people... Corporal works works of mercy, right? Exactly. Like, I'm not saying that we should just throw in the towel and give up on alleviating suffering. But um, to have this false notion that we can bring heaven to earth and make earth a utopia without any suffering is, is heresy, is just not realistic. It's, it's delusional is maybe even a better word for it. It's not realistic. And um, rather, what the Christian says is that suffering is inevitable, but when you pick up your cross and carry your suffering— and adopt the responsibility of your suffering, actually, you can get as close to heaven as we can on this earth and ultimately achieve heaven and achieve the total lack of suffering in eternity, 
right? But we have to embrace the cross and embrace the sufferings of life, not resent them and try and rid life of them. Yeah. Yeah. Jacques Philippe actually talks about how like the greatest suffering is our resistance to it. Because I think I find that in my own life in so many different ways that like it's when I'm resistant to the suffering that I almost, I suffer more and I get fearful of the suffering and then the suffering overtakes me. And then because it takes my eyes away from God. Right. And, mm-hmm. and actually, so some of you may know this, but like, I've been really diving into studying the virtue of hope. That's been just like a big theme and I want to understand it. And one of the most stunning conclusions that I've realized so far in my study of hope, um, is that hope, uh, requires suffering in a weird way, because, um, I think that when we numb out our suffering, Right. Like Lexi was saying, like, yeah, life is good. I'm on the couch right now. Like I'm eating ice cream or, or even for me, it's like, okay, you know what? Instead of like taking some extra time to reflect on my day and like the things that are aching in my heart, whether they be small or big, I'm just going to zoom through Facebook or Instagram or like, I'm going to watch a show or like, I'm just going to numb out because I don't want to think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, when I do that, I actually... Um, I numb out the sufferings in my heart, which ultimately numbs out my ability to hope because hope is to hope is placing my eyes on something greater and placing my eyes on the promises of God, which will come. But if I stop, if I stop knowing what is aching in my heart and what is missing and what is falling short, then I'm never drawn to lifting my eyes up Mm -hmm. to heaven. Mm -hmm right? Which is where my hope is. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus doesn't ask us to carry our cross because he wants us to be miserable, right? We talked about that a little bit in the Memento Mori episode. He calls us to carry our crosses because there is life on the other side of it. And Jesus died on the cross because there is life on the other side of it. And that doesn't mean that the suffering is fun. That doesn't mean that the suffering is like, oh, well now all of a sudden everything is great. And it's like, you know what? It's fine. Like drive the nail into my hand. Like, no, like it still hurts and it still aches, but there's meaning and there is hope of new life that will be born from it. And I think all of us, when we think about little sufferings, like Lexi and I were just sharing some stories. And I think when you think about sufferings in your life that you have instead of resisted, embraced and brought to Jesus, you know, there's a sweetness there, Mm -hmm. right? You know Mm -hmm. that there is new life that has sprung forth from that suffering. I think it makes sense then. So we, we we're kind of diving into this, but if suffering is inevitable, what do we do with it? Yeah. How do we, if we've really resigned ourselves to the fact that suffering is inevitable, which it's hard to do. So first of all, if you're not there yet, take the time to get there. You know, that's, that's okay. But if we've really resigned ourselves to the fact that suffering is inevitable, then what do we do with that suffering? Um, and I think that the answer that Jesus shows us today on Good Friday is we embrace it and carry it and actually take up our cross knowingly and willingly. Because there's a huge difference between a cross that's forced on you and a cross that you pick up and adopt and, and call your own, right? Um, 
adopting responsibilities in our life that we know are going to cause us to suffer, but but that we pick up and carry willingly as opposed to shunning the suffering and shunning the responsibilities and shunning anything that would ever cause us to suffer. You know, it's, um, I think about the difference between like what happens when my mom, when I was little, when she would like force me to do the dishes, right? And it was like, if you don't do the dishes, you are grounded, right? I would sit there and do them miserably the whole time. As opposed to like now I have actually realized that I don't really mind doing the dishes. Like I turn on some music and I do them and it's actually kind of like, I like having something to do with my hands. I like the warm water. Like there's something about it that I don't mind. So it's, there's a difference in our attitude and whether or not we intentionally adopt something. Um, and that goes so deeply into my girl, St. Therese, who, how can I go a podcast without talking about her? Uh, she has this quote that is like really one of her more popular quotes. She said, everything is grace, which for her seems ridiculous for her to say that because her mom died when she was like four, I think. And her dad was like, had this horrible dementia and she, um, was really, she suffered with OCD almost certainly. Like that's what most psychologists have diagnosed her with, even though she never went in for treatment when she was alive. Um, but she almost certainly suffered with really severe OCD. And so for her to say, everything is grace, which grace is another word for gift, right? Grace just means gift. You can interchange those words. So for her to say, everything is gift. Oh, really, Therese? The, the death of your mother was a gift? The, the dementia of your father was a gift. Your OCD is a gift. She actually does believe that because she says this. She says, if it is true that our God allows suffering, then we can most certainly say that he does not allow unnecessary suffering. And I think that's a combo of Jacques Philippe and Therese. Um, I don't remember who exactly. I think, I think actually Jacques Philippe might have said it that way exactly, but Therese certainly said things like that. Um, he does not allow unnecessary suffering, meaning that every suffering that you and I endure and that we carry intentionally, right? That we don't just, you know, that we're not bitter towards, but that we're carrying with love and intentionality is used for our sanctification. It brings us closer to heaven. It brings us closer to God. It perfects us. There is purpose to it. There's meaning to it. And so, um, that's how she she would always say like everything is grace and she suffered in big ways and also in small ways right like she she would say that um i remember once she was uh doing laundry like she was washing clothes and there was a sister next to her who kept splashing her with water and she was like it was super annoying like my face was getting really wet and i didn't want to be wet and at first she was like maybe i'll i'm going to tell the sister to like hey you're splashing me and she actually decided not to because she was like, oh, like I can, I can take on this suffering as, as a gift. And I can, not only will this work towards my sanctification, but I can actually use this suffering for the sanctification of the world, which is, which is a crazy concept because 
We believe as Catholics that when we adopt our own suffering intentionally and willingly, it benefits the whole world. It actually sanctifies the world. Um, The world becomes a holier, better place when you and I intentionally adopt our suffering. And that grace that we embrace in that moment can be shared like with other souls in the world. Yes, that is beautiful. I was also just, when Lexi was talking, I was thinking about maybe some, some examples of like what, what I've heard teens come to me to share a suffering that maybe you're like, yeah, but like, what about this? You know? And, and I hear a lot of people be like, yeah, I didn't get into the school that I was applying to. Mm. Um, or I didn't get into national honor society um, and, and I, and I understand how defeating that can feel because you really got excited about something and you, it can kind of bring in some questions about like, oh my gosh, am I not good enough? Am I being seen? Am I da 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 How could this be part of God's plan? Like, why is he allowing this? You know? And I think, um, there's a difference between like responding to that with, oh my gosh, like my life is over. This is what I wanted. This is everything. Um, your suffering is going to be a lot worse because now you have the rejection of whatever it was coupled with your, just like your, your, the extra suffering you're putting on yourself to like hate on yourself or Mm. to think everything is over um, versus being like, wow, okay, like, Lord, you know something I don't know. You have allowed this rejection for a reason that I may never understand. Um, but not to then add on the sufferings of it's because I suck. It's because I'm stupid. It's because da, 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 da. Oh my gosh, that admissions counselor. If I just had a different admissions counselor, like maybe or whatever, right? Like there is such a profound difference that I really think is life changing. If you vow to adapt to that mindset of being, instead of saying, why me? Why did this happen? Which don't get me wrong. Those are very understandable reactions and you're probably going to have them at first. But then to move into, okay, okay, Lord, this is not outside of your hands and you're mm-hmm. holding this and you have something in this for me, for my redemption. Um, and, and it is a gift. It is truly, truly, truly a gift um, that sometimes the gifts that we get taste bitter at first. Yeah, it, they require trust. Yeah. They require, they require belief that our God is not going to permit unnecessary suffering. Every time that we're suffering and we don't see why it requires an act of trust on our end to, to believe that God is actually good and that all of this is actually a gift. So it's not just this like, oh, well, obviously that's a gift, right? Right. It's like, no, it it requires trust. It requires confidence in who God is, which is why it's so important for us to be in a state of prayer, right? Like to keep our eyes on the God who is good, to to keep our eyes on him and who he is, because who he is proves to us that he's good, right? Like when we experience his goodness, like taste and see the goodness of the Lord, you know, we're not supposed to be blindly again, blindly following when we're in a state of prayer, when we're close to God himself, it's easier for us to trust that our suffering is good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that another, um, another thing that has been really helpful for me in my suffering, um, is to know there's this concept of consoling the heart of Jesus, right? And Lexi had kind of mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, But there's something so amazing to know this, that you and I have the ability to console Christ's heart, not just his heart today in 2020, but his heart in his agony in the garden, his heart on the cross. 
And why is that? Well, God is outside of time, right? And so the agony in the garden, I remember learning about this when I was on net, like when I unite my suffering to Jesus, when I do a good deed, when I speak words of life, I am consoling Jesus's very heart in the agony in the garden. Why is that? Well, we understand that Christ didn't just die for all of the people that <clears throat> had come before him. And he didn't just die for all the people right then and there. He died for the future. He died for us, right? And so we know that the agony, the weight of the sins that Christ was feeling in the garden, right, was from the past, the present, and the future sinners. And so in that same um, logic, we also know that the good deeds, those who were, who were uniting their suffering to him um, in the past, in the present, in the future, were consoling him. Veronica wiping the face of Jesus. Veronica right? wiping the face of Jesus, exactly. And so you and I, when we, when we choose to say, Jesus, I, it doesn't mean that you don't say, I don't like it. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying pretend that you love suffering and pretend that it's easy. Do not, don't deny the ache of it. Mm -hmm. But to say, even as the tears are streaming down your face, or even as your blood pressure is boiling at the annoyance of another person, mm -hmm. to say, okay, Jesus, this is really, truly painful and annoying and hard. And I choose to let this be. I choose to receive this gift. May this console your heart. Um, and I remember like, and, and so not just in the agony, but also on the cross, right? Like I, Jesus says from the cross, I thirst, right? And we know that, yes, he was very likely, well, he had to have been physically thirsty because that's a huge reality of crucifixion. Um, but he also, he said that not to complain, um, but to call us forth. Because when we love him, when we stand at the foot of the cross, so to speak before him with our ache, with our joy, with our sorrow, and we enter in, like we allow him to be our savior, which is what quenches his thirst. There is something so profound about walking with Jesus and uniting ourselves with him um, that consoles his heart. And then ironically, it consoles ours as well, mm -hmm. right? And like one more image, just because it's, it's Good Friday. Um, I was recently praying with the Sorrowful Mysteries. And when it came time for... Uh, the carrying of the cross, right? I just had this image of myself like um, like with this small little cross and it was heavy. And I just heard Jesus like who's right before me, like carrying this huge cross, right? And I just heard him be like, come and, and fit your cross into my cross. Like it's a puzzle piece. It fits into my cross. And in doing that, two things happen. One, your suffering becomes meaningful um, because it's now united with mine. Yeah. And two, you're then allowing me to help you carry it, right? Because it's fit into my cross, right? And so I know these are concepts that kind of sound maybe like, oh, that's cute and like hypothetical. But like, I'm telling you, like when you do this, when you take a suffering, whether it is small, so to speak, or or if it's huge, like a death or or some kind of other despair, like when we actually say, Jesus, okay, here it is. Like, I am going to literally, I had a priest tell me like, imagine yourself crucified with Jesus. Like there is this, this consolation that it brings to our heart because we know 
that we are so united with Christ. And as Mother Teresa says, like it is, he's so close that he can kiss our cheek, right? Um, and there's an intimacy and there's a love that we cannot find anywhere else. Um, and of course, as we lean in, we lean in with the hope of Easter, right? And I think you had a good point about Mary, yeah. Lexi, that I think is a good place for us to kind of end. Totally. So first of all, I just want to say with that whole embracing your suffering and, and giving them to Jesus thing, um, just like it's important to at least, I think, like we were talking before, write down the good things that God is doing in your life. I think it's also really good and important to write down the sufferings that are going mm-hmm. on in your life that you want to identify and call out and unite to the cross of Jesus. Because sometimes our sufferings can just seem like a blur, you know, and like life is just a big suffering. But like if you have a family member who's sick or I guess I just encourage you to look over your life and think about the concrete things that you want to unite to the suffering of Jesus. And nothing is too small or nothing too big. Nothing is too Don't small. Don't compare. Remember, Therese was talking about uniting, getting splashed in the face when she was doing laundry. Yeah. Like, Anyway, um, I, so I encourage you to identify those things because it will help you to intentionally pick them up. Um, again, with, with intentionality, not just letting them happen to you. Uh, so anyway, but like Ashley was saying, um, we want to lean into the suffering with hope for the future. Um, and I was, I was thinking that, so our Blessed Mother, watching her beloved son suffer was certainly a, an immense suffering for her. Um, even if it was less than his, it was certainly the most that anybody has ever suffered, uh, a human besides Jesus himself that day. However, she was never despairing. She was never despondent. And the only reason that Mary was okay on that day um, was because I'm, I'm convinced. So Jesus had told his apostles, had told the people he was with that he was going to die and then rise again on the third day. And there were a lot of... Um, not premonitions, prophecies that, that Jesus, that, right. that the Messiah would die and rise again. Right. And Mary knew scripture like the back of her hand. Right. And she would have prayed into that and she would have, she would have known that this was not the end of the story. I don't think she would have known exactly what was going to happen, but I think she knew for sure that this was not the end of the story. So she on good Friday had hope. She was able to look at good Friday and know that it was not the end. And that was something that I had a really hard time with. Um, I know when I was telling you about like my first Good Friday deep experience when I was like at the grocery store and telling <laughs> off my friend, I really thought that I was supposed to be like totally despondent on Good Friday and just overwhelmed with grief, which grief maybe, but despondence, no. And it's so cool because you and I are able to do today. We are able to embrace today as Good Friday and also know that Easter is coming. Like it's okay to look at Good Friday through the lens of Easter because the only reason that we celebrate today, that we embrace today is because we know that there is Easter coming. So um, you don't have to be despondent today. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I think Mary, that whole thing makes Mary so relatable because it's like she she knew God was good. That's all she knew. She knew God was good and that God kept his promises. She didn't know what that was going to look like. You and I can know that God is good and we don't have to know where the re- resolution is within our sufferings, but we can with incredible confidence believe that good is coming. Um, Amen. And so we uh, encourage you to like truly embrace 
Like this is like this is the crux of our Christian faith. I know I said it earlier, but like this is it, right? To Today to be day, able man. to embrace, embrace our it. suffering with hope. Mm-hmm. That's the Christian life every single day. And Lexi and I are not experts at this. We are walking alongside with you, continually striving. Lexi's better at this than I am, TBH. But to continually strive towards embracing the suffering that is before us, um, that we might really unite with Christ and have the hope of the resurrection. So, so let's enter into today, embrace our cross, um, and, and have hope for amen. Easter. And we'll see you next week. Well, no, we won't. It'll be, we'll talk to you. It'll be Easter Monday. You guys, next time that we talk. Yeah. So bring your ice cream on Monday. <laughs> Much love. Bye. Happy Holy yeah. Week.